0: Hello and welcome back to Curiously Polar. It is another week of us talking about things very north and very south. And if I say us, I mean myself. My name is Chris Marquardt. And of course, Henry. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. How are you? I'm good. I'm very good. So um, you've brought us uh, something completely different today. What are we going to talk about? We are going to talk about music
1: I was a little bit fed up with uh, reading all the time about pandemics and viruses and lockdowns and the release of lockdowns and people are debating and arguing about that. And I think one thing that um, is very important to me is um, music. So as often as I can, I, I listen to music and especially the uh, quarantine time is very nice to, to um to music it's a very nice opportunity to listen to a lot of music so this is and an
0: officially corona free episode not officially because we already talked about that <laughs> <laughs> from now on let's stop talking about this thing exactly and uh, let's talk about music what kind of music did you bring us
1: i haven't brought any music um but if there's one thing that all the cultures around the world will have or have in common then it's music um, music helps us to express emotions um to celebrate to mourn we connect memories with music so there's always this kind of song that's connected to certain memories when you go into um into school or something when you when you have bad situations when you have good situations there's always the song uh, in your in your heart you connect it's, it's to a it.
0: little soundtrack that you exactly. carry with you
1: exactly and uh, couples have their song films without music it's very hard to imagine and if you Um, think back um, into that time when films didn't had a score a soundtrack there was still a pianist in the cinema playing a score life to that silent movie so it's a very important layer to all to all of our life and for many of us, that music, that has become kind of a matter of course. We consume it in bulk. We have Spotify, we have iTunes, we have whatever. And we're consuming it in a, in a mass like we do with a lot of stuff in our society. But high up in the north, things, are so often, are a little bit differently. And I would love to um, dedicate the next episodes a little bit to music, in the north, and in a culture that lives in very small communities and used to be very nomadic, so they were traveling a lot. And it's kind of from the outside world, for very much of the year, music plays an even bigger role, because it's not only used to entertain people, it's also part of a transfer of traditions, transfer of experiences. And this, I would love to just introduce a little bit more in, into detail to have a have a look. And uh, I would love to start with Nunavut, which is um, Canada's largest territory in the north, and the local language Inuktitut does not have really um, had um, music incorporated. There is not like a um, kind of a classical music. Um, tradition as we know it from uh, western um, civilizations but they have something quite similar so the closest there was actually a so-called uh, nippy which is translated into music sound of speech and noise so it can mean all of that but traditionally inuit songs seem to have been intended to be heard as part of a whole series of um, auditory experiences And going into that, the uh, traditional Inuit music has two pillars it's based on. One is drums. So you have the kind of drum dances and the other one is throat singing. So when you travel along different Inuit cultures from Greenland to Canada, to Alaska, all the way to Russia, you will find both elements in all those cultures. So you have drum dances in different variations in all those cultures and you have a throat singing element in all those cultures. They vary depending on where those people are, but they have all the bases in common. And that's pretty fabulous, um, as I find. They have um, this vocal style which they call Katayak, Inuit throat singing. And that's a type of uh, traditional competitive song. So that was considered a game and usually was held between two women. And those two women were not only um, competitors, they needed each other to, to do that. And the more we look into it, the closer we understand why that connection is actually a quite intimate connection, even though they are competing with each other. It's a playful way of competition. And um one of the words few examples of overtone singing, this um kind of of um yeah of singing is a unique method of um, producing sounds that's otherwise best known in, in tuvan throat singing. So you don't only find art in the Inuit cultures circumpolar, you will also find it to South Syria to Mongolia you will even find it in tropical islands and tropical uh, destinations so there are roots of throat singing in various places around the world however it's rather small communities that use that and preserve that it's not something that in big and com- um, big uh, communities big cultures is present and most people probably have never heard about that before but I actually think it's a really interesting way of um, of um, playing with each other, of communicating with each other. So when they're competing, the two women, they stand face to face and they sing kind of a complex method of following each other. So one is singing a higher tone or a deeper tone and the other one is following with the opposite. And the interesting thing of that is that both know the... The general assembly of that song they're interpreting, but effectively you have to follow immediately what your other your counterpart is doing, and that's a very very intense moment. So it's a very high focus situation, and the sounds there very mm, are very very they're very limited. So you don't have a big range, a big variety there but at the same time, quite diverse, they have a very um, clear focus on natural elements. And what I would love to to um, do is just have a quick listen into a quick example of the traditional form of throat singing. <laughs>
2: We'll <laughs>
0: is very different from pretty much anything i've heard so far in terms Isn't of music yes and what i really like is um the example at the end they end in laughter
1: they have a lot
0: of fun yes apparently
2: and that's something
1: you
0: will probably experience so, so, well, pretty just, much every song just to understand what we heard there again you explained it but um so so there were two women singing and they were, the, the one was singing a tone and the second one was singing the same tone. So that's how you go, duh, 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 which sounds like, yeah, two slightly different um, voices, pretty much. So, so the, the interesting thing on throat singing
1: is that um, both are following each other and they're singing similar tones and they're forming basically just one voice in that exactly. singing. So y- you can't really distinguish who is singing what tone. And who is actually leading and who's following. That's very difficult to distinguish there. And you basically can just see that in a video. When you have a close up on who's starting. But even then you don't know if that's not changing um, in between. And something I really um, like when you look at videos. Or uh, live performances of throat singing. Those throat singers. They are usually very close to each other. They stand very close. So they're actually touching each other. And hold them themselves on on the arms and that's a very interesting way of transporting the rhythm because that's so important you 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 have that um kind of yeah kind of monotone rhythm going back and forth back and forth and you can see when they perform that live how one is giving that tact and the other one is just reading that on the body movement they are barely looking into each other's eyes. They're looking at each, other, at each other's mouths to see what the next tone will be, what the next step will be, the the speed of it, and that's pretty uh, pretty intimate. It's pretty amazing. So each um, Inuit culture along the Arctic has different characteristics in their musical style of throat singing. But all of them include similar elements The recitative like singing It's kind of a repetition Coming over and over again Have a very complex rhythmic organization But at the same time A relatively small melodic range It's not like a big variety in there Um, We have a prominence of major thirds and minor seconds But we have an undulating melodic movement at the same time we see these very close, intimate coming together of the of the singers sharing that rhythm, and that's something you will see pretty much everywhere along the circumpolar north when you see a live performance of that. Pretty, pretty amazing thing. This is a traditional form. So what you've heard is a recording from back in the eighties, and that used to be like uh, a thing when when Inuit came together, when they gathered. So that's like almost
0: 40 years ago. It is, yeah. Has it changed since? It
1: has, and it hasn't at the same time. So you still have the traditional form of throat singing, but you also have a, a modern form of it. And that's something I would love to look into a little later. This traditional form of singing, that was only recently threatened with extinction. And that's something that most people probably don't even realize the colonization of the arctic has almost everywhere caused those nomadic people to be settled and the language of the colonial powers that was the one that was spoken primarily in schools when you look at greenland it was danish that was taught in school in canada and alaska it was prim- uh, primarily english taught in school and in fact in, in North america were not allowed to speak um, Inuktitut or the other um, Inuit languages in school. And by that, when you have um, a musical tradition like the throat singing, which can't be written down, this is just dying out when you can't transfer that, if you can't give it or pass it along to the next generation. And this is pretty a pretty dramatic thing. But fortunately, today we find a lively inuit culture everywhere in the uh, circumpolar arctic they are celebrating that they're pretty uh, pretty proud and pretty strong in developing that and as the inuit language sees uh, a new rise so does that throat singing so actually um sharing and celebrating the the strengths of their own languages and it's amazing to see it's not only part of today's Inuit, uh, Inuit musical pop culture, but also being adopted all around the world. And I've brought a little example to you, and that's, uh, it comes from the German University of Music, uh, Franz Liszt in, in, in Weimar. And two throat singers from Nunavut, Kier Hackey and uh, Karen Fleurty, they are joined by two electronic music artists, Paul Hopmeyer and Martin Recker. And Usually Inuit throat singing doesn't include any instrumentation. There is no additional music. It's just the, the vocal performance of the artists. But there, the two guys joining in and they simply create environments for the audience to encapsulate and experience the throat singing in different way. They accommodating the singers in different environments. they place the singing into an environment, a space that allows you to ground and reference the throat singing and chanting. So let's go have a quick snippet out of that performance.
0: Again, very interesting. And slightly different from the first one. Oh yes, very different. Um I guess I guess I heard like a uh, representation of the of the of the dogs, of the huskies in there. Some very the, uh, very uh, very uh, sounds, they make sounds that that um, remind of actual things.
1: Indeed, and that's uh, what uh, throat singing is about. It takes the elements you're surrounded by um, and uh, you just put them in a, in a new context. Uh, this particular song called um, Geese, Nirliwak, and all the, the movement of the geese, all the sounds you can usually hear from the movement of the wings or just when they communicate with each other, all of that um, put into a song and, and uh, interpreted. Sometimes those I were really geese. Like
0: I didn't hear geese. I heard dogs. <laughs> 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 hmm.
1: that, that's pretty much, um, you, can, you can put a lot of different interpretations in each and every song. Probably. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what I really like on this one is the, the, the very subtle implementation of electronic music. Which basically puts just a new layer of effects on top, so you you actually have some some acoustics of, um, let's say, the wind or the sea around. Um, so you create a, a broader picture next to
0: the throat singing. And that's just one. It didn't sound very electronic. It had a very organic kind of feeling to it. Indeed, and that's just one development of uh, throat singing
1: in in modern culture. So, in fact, when you listen to um, Inuit music today, Inuit pop music or rock music or metal or singer-songwriter, you will always have elements of throat singing in there as kind of a melody, of kind of a of the rhythmic section in those songs. And that is pretty, pretty um, amazing. And it also shows that for the Inuit culture, throat singing is very very important and in in that way it's very important to pass it along it's an essential part of the culture it's very a very oral tradition it can't be written down it has to be learned from someone else so you have to teach it your next generation and throat singing is a strength for people and being able to learn it and being professional and pass it on to other that's a really really great gift to to have and to give So that even brings the community not even closer together. And until the advent of commercial recording uh, technology, Inuit music was usually only used in spiritual uh, ceremonies to ask the spirits for good luck in in hunting or gambling, as well as simple lullabies. Inuit music has long been noted for stoic lack of, of work or love songs. But as music has become a huge part in Western culture, it always has been an Inuit culture already. And in 2016, 16, uh, an Inuit band called The Jerricans found Nunavut's first record label. The The band is based in Nunavut's capital, Iqaluit, and is known for the unique blend of traditional Inuit throat thing, uh, singing and roots rock. So they combine those elements um, in those amazing songs. They started the label because they found it very challenging ...to navigate the music industry from Equalude, And to understand that, you have to put that into perspective. Nunavut is by far the largest territory in, in Canada. But it has a very, very limited infrastructure. So going there from Toronto takes quite some effort. Being able to travel within the territory takes some effort as well. So... Just connecting the single communities is very challenging. Internet connection is very, very poorly. So what's kind of a given thing for us, communicating through messengers and um, FaceTime and listening to Spotify, stream music, um, look videos up on YouTube, that's something that's very, very difficult in in Nunavut. So what they actually... um, came along when they uh, were playing across Canada. They saw that people were interested in what they were doing. For for some reason, there was a lot of hesitation within the Canadian music industry. They didn't want the next generation of Inuit um, artists to go through the same struggle. So the guys from the band, the Jerry Kins, they just started a record label. And they started the label as a way to share the roads they've learned. And they learned it the hard way. So nobody took them on their hands and and, and taught them they had to learn it on, on themselves and as sharing is a very very strong element in your culture that's of course also part of that record label they called that label um akuluk, akuluk music the word means or is a term of an endearment it's not necessarily "I love you," but it um is something you would say to your children to your parents, your friends, in a, in a similar way. So, in, in German language, we for example, we have a lot of different expressions of I love you. In English, we're a little bit limited here. And Inuit language has um, a similar expression like we have in, in, in German language, for example. Uh, you, you use different um, expressions for for um, the way you love family and your kids and beloved ones around you than the deep emotional love to your partner. It's a little bit um, more layered. The label was um, born with a very, very explicit mission statement because they actually want to record, market, and distribute music sung in Inuktitut language, which is like the the local uh, language of the indigenous people in Nunavut. It's one of many languages in uh, the circumpolar uh, Inuit uh, community, but it's um, the one in Iqaluit, And they want to, to uh, transfer Inuit traditions. They want to build hope through the music and um, through community, and they want to preserve the territory's distinct culture. They've put it in blunt terms on the website. And saying, Equaluit is a place rich in musical culture and talent, but bereft of music business infrastructure. So, as I said earlier, it's very hard to imagine for us that in a place like Nunavut, the infrastructure is basically not there. What we take for granted, not only in the music industry, but in general in communication, is very poorly developed in that um, large territory. It's very hard to access Inuktitut music and the whole Derrycan's philosophy is that music is such an effective way of preserving and promoting the language that that's what they are trying to do and they try to get the Inuktitut music more accessible not only in Nunavut but also Canada and all across the world. So the label works for them as kind of a of a vehicle to, to yeah, to enable local artists to um, have access to yet yeah, to, to infrastructure which they can't access in Iqaluit. So Iqaluit music um, showcases artists at um, events outside of uh, Nunavut, but also in Nunavut. They um, help them to apply to funding for rackets, and there is this this um, story from one of the founders of uh, the record label that there are music funds in Canada which you can apply for. And they tried to apply for uh, those funds and figured that you have to submit a music video on YouTube for that fund. But the internet connection in Nunavut is so poor that you basically can't upload a video to, to YouTube. Then you have to... Provide some streaming platforms where your music is streamed on. Again, when you have a poor internet connection, it's very difficult to upload something to Spotify. Nobody in Nunavut uses Spotify because the connection is so poor. So this is all stuff you have to to keep in mind to understand how important that that step was to found that very first music video in, in Nunavut. And, of course, the label also signs musicians to the label's roster and is releasing albums. They're also re-releasing older albums from um, acts like North and Haze, which is like a metal band, an Inuit metal band that has been there for ages. It's like a like one of the really old metal bands in, um, in Nunavut. So the Cans experienced uh, touring overseas. And during that touring, they... Just experienced necessity for an apparatus like that label they found later on. They just returned from Australia, where a lot of their audience were just singing along in a language they don't understand, in a language they don't speak. And that's a pretty amazing moment. It's a very emotional moment. So they proved that it's working that way. So the, the the label is also working to create such an access point um, in an arctic territory that's geographically and technologically isolated and that's very important in in that um, understanding of the function of the role of that record label it's only one record label so there have been more following up afterwards but because of the of the role of it being the very first one it stands out and it stands also out in the way it serves the community. It creates access to not only artists they have signed, but to the entire Inuktitut music language society. Uh, They they came up in 2016 with the Nunavut Music Week, uh, week, where they actually created kind of a showcase event for... Uh, industry journalists for um record labels from from uh, southern Canada to come up to Nunavut and experiencing the Inuktitut artists on the on themselves and that was so successful that I actually last year um pulled out the second edition of the music week and I'm pretty sure there are more coming uh, coming up and Interesting, when you go through that artist artist, uh, roster from Akuluk music, you will find all different genres in there, from from metal um, through pop to um, actually folk, singer-songwriter. And one of the artists they signed, um, Asiva, is an Inuk uh, singer-songwriter. She plays uh, a very tiny instrument, the ukulele. And she sings along. She's uh, from a very re- remote community, um, Pangnirtung. And she moved to Equaluit to get a better access to that infrastructure. Because even for a local record label, when it's based in Equaluit, it's very difficult to go, uh, to, go to to those remote communities. You have to understand that just going from Equaluit to Toronto costs around 1,800 um, Canadian dollars per person. So, getting a band down to Canada
0: is a significant effort, financial effort for and, for a band. And you can't just hop in a car and drive down. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, all, all over. Transporting instruments. To... Transporting instruments on an airplane is a whole Definitely. new complication in itself. Yes. Indeed, indeed. So you see um,
1: the lack of infrastructure there. Made it necessary to, to set up kind of a, um, of a a new industry in Nunavut. And by founding that label, they actually set a starting point here and they try to create jobs in an industry that didn't exist before and try to create a hub, a connection from the cultural essence of Nunavut to a broader national, um, Identity in in, in Canada, and that's pretty amazing to see um, what music can actually serve and I'm really happy that um, that label exists and makes it possible for us to um, explore the uh, Inuctitude music and even if you don't understand lyrics, there are some songs which actually have English lyrics or uh, mixed lyrics, I would really um, highly recommend have a, a listen and we definitely put a lot of links into the show notes. Um, I a playlist on, on Spotify. I will put the um, link in, into the show notes as well. And um, yeah, I would really love to, to hear your, um, yeah, your uh, experiences here. How, how do you think? Um, how do you like that music? What do you
0: think about that uh, whole story? Very cool, very cool. Um, so we will have links to all of those, including the label and uh, some more of what you heard here on, um I think YouTube has a few things. So um, that's definitely going to be in the show notes. And uh, thanks, Henry, for preparing this so thoroughly. This is uh, a new direction. I like this. And also we are really firmly back up in the north again right <laughs> we, we finally we are left the south and are back to the north that is inhabited by um by people that are not just scientists but actual like normal people <laughs> which is which is also really important
1: to me because that's one of the major differences between arctic it is, and yes. antarctica is you have people there. You have history. I mean, a long-lasting history. You have history in Antarctica as well, but it dates back 200, 300 years. But you have a long-lasting history of traditions, of culture in there, and that's a major difference. And that's why I'm just one series on in the next episodes. Yeah, and and, and to this dig be- a little bit into those. Cultures.
0: Yeah, this really became clear during this episode that that is one of the major differences, that um, there is culture history going back many, many years. And uh, uh, yeah, a, a very different kind of pole, the North Pole, as opposed to the South Pole. And especially so, in a
1: time where we are probably not able to to travel to one of the polar regions, it's more important for us to just transport the ideas and um, the experiences um, in a different
0: channel. And I think Curiously Polar is quite an amazing channel for that. I think so too. So that was it for this episode of Curiously Polar. We'll be back in a week. And until then, um, let us know what you think. Um, Do you miss a topic that we should cover? Do you want to get a deeper insight or an update on a previous topic? Then let us know. We have an email address, info at CuriouslyPolar.com can also find us on social media we have a website curiouslypolar.com that has all the other 97 episodes before this we have a twitter uh, presence at curiouslypolar and an instagram as well at curiouslypolar and also um, again our our income from travel is pretty much gone at this point so um, i would like to remind you if you can and if you're inclined to do so um, we'd be happy for some support Uh, this is all in the show notes and on CuriouslyPolar.com if you cannot support us because you are struggling as well uh, it's totally fine but um, yeah, just thought we'd let you know so that was it for this week and um, we'd love to have you back in a week from now until then take care